Amen. Well, let's turn to Psalm 149. Psalm 149. Those hymns all point to multiple reasons why we should praise God, why He's worthy of our praise. And uh, these psalms seek to recount, just like the rest of the psalms that we've looked at, seek to recount why God is worthy of praise. I mentioned last time that Psalms 146 through 150 serve as these, a, a doxological conclusion to the whole Psalter, to the whole book of Psalms, um, uh, as we've observed God's glory and God's grace throughout the book. And again, we've only studied 27 different Psalms. Uh, we've seen so many different uh, situations in life, uh, sorrow, anger, doubt, uh, confidence, joy, and in all of those things, we've seen reason to praise God. And so tonight, as we close out this study in the Psalms, we're going to be looking at the last two Psalms of the book, Psalm 149 and 150, and, uh, and consider how, how and why we should be praising the Lord. And I'd encourage you, even as we go through this, be, be thinking to yourself, maybe even writing in, in, the, in the margin of, of, your, of your paper there, your reasons to praise the Lord. What has God done in your life uh, that, he, that makes him worthy of praise. Uh, this, Psalms are very personal, right? These are uh, the authors uh, expressing their own reasons why God is worthy of praise, and you can do the same. And so, um, even be thinking about that, we might have an opportunity near the end to, uh, to share some of those reasons why God is worthy of praise. Uh, well, let's begin with Psalm 149. Let's pray, ask God to guide us as we look into the psalm. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you uh, for this uh, wonderful opportunity that we've had to look in this wonderful book, uh, to, to see uh, examples of worship and praise to you. We've seen your glory, we've seen your attributes clearly uh, displayed, and so, Lord, I pray that, uh, that we would glorify you tonight, praise you, and thank you for everything you've done. Guide us as we look in your word, in your son's name we pray, amen. amen. Psalm 149 um, is a psalm of praise. Surprise. Uh, let's read through it together, and then I'm going to give you a little uh, outline as far as how this psalm is, is broken down. Let's read the psalm together. Psalm 149. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song, his praise in the assembly of the godly. Let Israel be glad in his maker. Let the children of Zion rejoice in their king. Let them praise his name with dancing, making melody to him with tambourine and lyre. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He adorns the humble with salvation. Let the godly exult in glory. Let them sing for joy on their beds. Let the high praises of God be in their throats and two-edged swords in their hands. To execute vengeance on the nations and punishments on the peoples. To bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron. To execute on them the judgment written. This is honor for all his godly ones. Praise the Lord. There are two portions to this psalm that I see, um, and uh, the first one, verses 1 through 4, um, is kind of a song of celebration. It's, it's praising God for everything that He has done, but then when you shift down to verses 5 through 9, it's more of a song of anticipation, as they look ahead to some challenges, to some some battles even ahead of them, and yet God's praise is in their mouths. And, uh, and so we're going to see some really important lessons for us today. Uh, namely, when we, when we recount everything God has done for us in the present and in the past, 
It actually gives us reason to praise as we go into the future and we anticipate uh, his goodness uh, continuing uh, in the days ahead. But let's look at the song of celebration in verses 1 through 4. And we begin with this uh, well-known phrase, sing to the Lord a new song. This is, this is a new song is a phrase that we see all throughout the Psalms. Uh, Psalm 33, verse 3 says, Sing to him a new song, play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. Later on in Psalm 140, or 41, verse 3, the Lord sustains him on his sickbed in his illness. He restores, oh, I'm sorry, that's the wrong, that's the wrong Psalm, sorry. Sometimes I copy paste and I don't look at what I copy and pasted. All right, Psalm 96, verse 1. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, sing to the Lord all the earth. And there's many other psalms that reference the new song. What does this mean? When we say, sing to the Lord a new song, uh, does this mean you're only supposed to sing songs written within the last five years? Is that what it's saying? It has to be new. All right, what, what does it mean when it says, sing to the Lord a new song? Any ideas of what is being communicated here? Yes? Yeah. Right, yeah, I, I think she's exactly correct that there's new experiences of fresh grace and giving new reasons to sing, right? It's, you, you, you've seen God's goodness again. He has been faithful again, and so it's time to sing a new song. It's time to sing again of his glory and of his grace. It points to the fact that we continually experience new reasons to praise the Lord. Sing a new song. Isn't it a wonderful truth that that our, our reasons for praise don't grow dusty and old as the years go by, right? That we are not just pointing back to what God did in the past, but we're looking at what God is continuing to do in our lives day in and day out. And uh, it's a reason for us to sing a new song, a new reason to praise. And so he calls us all to sing a new song, to sing praise to the Lord. Verse 2 says, Let Israel be glad in his maker, let the children of Zion rejoice in their king. And by the way, Linda Penifil showed me on her smartphone what uh, the, she, she looked at the word Zion, as was she asked last week. And uh, she did ask Google, as I instructed her to. And, uh, <laughs> and it's basically a name for God's uh, city, of city of protection, uh, something like that. Yeah, so we already forgot. Lynn and I already forgot. So go Google it yourself if, you're, if you want to know. Um, but uh, so here in verse 2, let Israel be glad in his maker. Let the children of Zion rejoice in their king. I think here, maker, although God is the maker of all, uh, his creation is in reference to something particular. It would be, yeah, the nation. Let Israel be glad in his maker. And remember, if we're going to look at synonymous parallelism between the two lines, let Israel be glad in his maker, let the children of Zion rejoice in their king. So what is, what is maker parallel to? King. So, so here, although God is the creator of all things of the universe, here they're giving particular praise that God has made them as a nation. God has formed them as Israel. And as such, he is their king. Because he made them, he rules them. Yes, Rebecca. I'm not sure if you know as far as the significance of the pronouns in the mm -hmm. original Hebrew, but it says his maker referring to Israel here. I've heard it 
say her referring to Israel before. Yeah. In New King James, King James it says rejoice in their maker. So different pronouns referring to Israel. Yeah. Do you know the significance of that or like your, what the original? I can, I can look at, I'd have to look at, you know, I don't have the original in front of me, but um, oftentimes when Israel or Jerusalem is, is in the feminine, is her, oftentimes it's in reference to the city, Jerusalem, which is, you know, the, the bride, her. Uh, so I, the, I see that often. Um, I think here Israel with a singular masculine uh, is probably referring to Jacob, right, as, as the representative of the nation of Israel. Um, and then the children of Zion uh, in the plural. So the, the pronoun, singular, plural, masculine, feminine, you know, obviously depends on context. Uh, I have to look at the original Hebrew to see uh, if there's any significance in this particular uh, instance. So he's, we're praising God that he is the maker of Israel, and as such, he is their king. And there's actually a principle here. He who makes you has rule over you, right? He formed you as a nation, therefore he is your king. And just as God formed and made the nation of Israel and is therefore its divine king, God has formed and made you, and therefore God is your king. He has rule over you, he has authority over you, and this should give you reason to praise. This should give you reason to praise the Lord. We see later, next in verse three, let them praise his name with dancing, making melody to him with tambourine and lyre. This is not a Baptist favorite verse, um, <laughs> but this is a celebration. And we're going to see a whole lot more of this in Psalm 150. But because of what he has done, because of his goodness, because of his rule over them, there's a response. Let them praise his name with dancing, making melody to him with tambourine and, and lyre. This is a celebration. And verse 4 gives the reason for that celebration. And why do I know it's the reason for the celebration? Four, very good, right? For the Lord takes pleasure. Let them praise. Why should they praise his name? Why should they make melody? Because God takes pleasure in his people. And secondly, he adorns the humble with salvation. I find it just a fascinating truth that God takes pleasure in his people. And, and, and frankly, that's not something that I often think much about. You know, we often focus more on, you know, I need to please God, which is true, and we should please God. But there's another truth in Scripture that says God takes great pleasure in his people. Do you know that he, it pleases him? He finds pleasure in having you as part of his family. Psalm 35, 27, let those who delight in my righteousness shout for joy and be glad and say evermore, great is the Lord who delights in the welfare of his servant. You know, God does what he wants, right? He's the king. He's God. He does what he wants. And guess what he wants? He wants to help us. He wants to give us grace. And so he takes pleasure in his people, and he adorns the humble with salvation. He grants salvation to the one who is humble. Now, there's something really important about uh, the tense of these verbs. What's the tense 
present. Not talking about tense, talking about grammar, all right? Present tense, all right? It's not past. He didn't, he took pleasure, or he will take pleasure. It's not he, he adorned the humble with salvation, or he will adorn. He's saying he adorns, he takes pleasures, pleasure. In, in, and so what does this include? As far as the timeline of our lives, what does this include in his salvation and his pleasure toward his people? Now, now and always right it's a constant present he takes pleasure he adorns the humble with salvation this is a constant this is past present and future and verse 4 serves kind of like a hinge point so to speak as it transitions from celebration of our past and present experience of God's grace to our future expectation of his faithfulness and deliverance. And here's what I mean. Here in a moment, you're going to, later on in verses 7 through 9, you're going to talk, it's going to have this picture of warfare. It's going to have this kind of battle idea to it. Uh, and we're leading to that. That's something they're heading toward. But here in verse 4, we find the reason why they can praise God even with that ahead of them. Because they know that God takes constant pleasure in his people, past, present, future. And if it's true in the past, and if it's true in the present, then it's true in the future. And you can praise him for that. Any thoughts, questions on anything so far? Verses 1 through 4. All right, so let's go to verse 5. This is the song of anticipation. So verses 1 through 4, song of celebration. Verses 5 through 9, a song of anticipation. And I want us to look at actually verses 5 and 6 together. What contrast do you see in verse 5 and verse 6? Do you see a contrast anywhere? You see one thing in verse 5 and another thing in verse 6, and they're kind of contrasted ideas. Any, any thoughts? Okay. All right. Yeah, so verse 5, they sing for joy on their beds, and two-edged sword in their hand. So this is very clearly referring to, to wartime, right? Which would mean this is peacetime. They're at rest, right? They, they are at ease. They, they have, they're on their beds, right? When I finally plop my head on my pillow, I sing for joy as well at the end of the day. Um, but they sing for joy on their beds. Um, and so verse 5 is talking about praising God in peacetime because God has been faithful. And then verse 6 talks about wartime, but just as we saw a contrast in the second line of each verse, we see a parallel in the first line of each verse because no matter if you're in peacetime, in a wartime, what are we supposed to do? Praise God. Let the godly exult in glory. Let them sing for joy on their beds. And while they have the two-headed sword in their hands, let the high praises of God be in their throats. Right? Like literally, it's coming out of their mouths. They are singing praise while they are in the face of wartime. And then verses 7 through 9, you'll notice that they all begin with the same word, to... Two, two. 
All right. And there's a question some people ask. All right, so let the high praises of God be in their throats and the two-edged sword in their hands to execute vengeance on the nations, punishments on the peoples, bind kings and their nobles, execute on them judgment. Um, is this Israel doing this? Is this God doing this? Um, what do you think? Who, who, is, who is the actor in verses 7 through 9? Yeah, yeah, definitely a straightforward reading seems to point to the fact that why do I have a two-edged sword in my hands? To do verses 7 through 9, right? Um, at the same time, it's kind of a trick question, but who ultimately is executing vengeance, ju punishment, uh, and judgment? God is, right? And, and in the Old Testament, he often used his people to execute his judgment and vengeance on the pagan nations, right? So we also have to read this in the context that it was written, it was written in the context of a kingdom where God was dealing with Israel as a nation and their conflict with other nations uh, seeking to destroy them. And really, the history of Israel is a history of warfare, and God's protection and faithfulness was seen often in his protection and his deliverance from other nations. But ultimately, we know that it's God who executes these judgments. This is God's justice at work. And here we see that that. Even when they find themselves in the middle of wartime, they can praise God and trust God. If you have your Bibles, I want you to actually look over to a story in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. 2 Chronicles chapter 20. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, we see a story of the people of Israel in a time of war. There are enemies facing them, and they are outnumbered. They are not in a, in a good spot. But in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, this is with King Jehoshaphat, great name. Um, and, uh, and look with me, let's start in verse 12 of this book. The men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, they are coming against Israel. They're, they're, about to they're about to fight against them. And it says in verse 12, this is Jehoshaphat's prayer. O Lord, O our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. I love that phrase. Right? We don't know what to do, God, but our eyes are directly on you. And they're preparing for battle, right? They're, they're, they're going to go out to war, but they know we, have, we're, we don't stand a chance against this horde. Look down in verse 13 and see what Jehoshaphat does, his battle strategy uh, to face this oncoming horde. Verse 13, meanwhile, all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jeliel, the son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, in the midst of the assembly. And he said, Listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, Do not be afraid, and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow go, against, go down against them, and behold, you will come up by the ascent of Ziz, 
and you will find them at the end of the valley east of the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, and the Lord will be with you. Okay, so here this word is given to them. All right, you get stand your ground. You're not going to have to fight. God's going to execute his judgment on these people. So what happens? Well, as we continue reading in this story, verse 18, Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites of the Kohathites and the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. Sounds like verse 6 right here. The high praises of God will be in their throats and two-edged swords in their hands. Verse 20, And they rose early in the morning, and they went out to the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Believe his prophets, and you will succeed. And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to fight, to sing, to the Lord, and praise him in holy attire. And they went before the army. So they take the singers and worshipers, and they put them on the front line in front of the army. Your vibrato would be really effective at that point, because you'd be trembling so much. <laughs> and say, give thanks to the Lord, for his steadfast love endures forever. Isn't that incredible? They are giving thanks to God for his steadfast love, and the battle hasn't even started yet. They're praising him. They're thanking him. Verse 22. And when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come out against Judah, so that they were routed. For the men of Ammon and Moab rose against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, devoting them to destruction. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped to destroy one another. So they stand there, with their swords, they bring the worshipers in front and they just start praising and thanking God. Why? Because God already told them what would happen. And so they thanked God for the outcome because God already told them what the outcome was. And they praised him and it resulted in deliverance. And as we look at this verse, how do we know that you can have, they have such confidence with the two-edged sword in their hands to praise God and it all is bound up in this phrase right here. Why is this important? Because they already know the outcome. They already know the outcome, right? Whatever context this psalm is written in, and we don't know the exact context, but they knew that God had already written the outcome. He had already given them the answer similar to 2 Chronicles chapter 20. So the, the, God is so reliable, God is so faithful, God cannot lie that when he declares something and says this will happen, you can thank him and praise him as if it already has. And that's what we see in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. The people of Israel, they knew that God had already written the things concerning their enemies and so they praised him ahead of time. And this is greatly instructive for us as Christians. 
Do we have so much confidence in God's word, what he has declared, that we can thank him for that as we await to see it happen in our lives? Um, This is not name it, claim it. This is not, well, I want my own outcome, and if I have enough faith and just close my eyes and grip my teeth and want it really hard, it'll just, it will manifest itself to me. That's not what this is saying. Because we're not the ones writing it. God is the one who writes it, right? God declares what the future is. God declares what's true. And it's when we look at his word and say, this is what his word says. This is what I know he has in store for me as his child, that we can anticipate his goodness in the future. And as a result, the bookend praise the Lord. What are thoughts, comments on Psalm 149 and, uh, and the truths that we find here? Anything you want to add? Is there any way that the judgment written phrase at the end is referencing the previous verse where it says, to bind the kings with chains and the nobles with fetters of iron? I think you could make that connection. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And, and in fact, you could say, yeah, you could say that this is summed up in that, right? Um, that, that vengeance on the nations, that points to God's justice. God is, God is executing his justice, binding the kings and the nobles with fetters of iron, namely the judgments written. So yes, I think you could make that connection. Good. Anything else for thoughts? Yeah. So is singing the, the songs, the honor of them, the this is the honor for, so what's this in reference to? That is one thing that uh, I didn't dig down deep into, because it could be another thing. It's an honor to, uh, to hold the two-edged sword. Oh. It could be praise the Lord. Um, my inclination would be, given the th- fact that the whole psalm is about praise, and we're being invited to praise God, that and the, it, it begins and ends with praise the Lord, that this is probably referencing the honor of praising him, that this is the privilege that we have to praise God. Taking it out of the context of wartime, uh, David was probably, well, whoever wrote this song, the wartime king. Yeah. Um, the context could also just be life in general. It doesn't have to be wartime. Everything you do, praise the Lord before you go do it. Mm-hmm. And it's an honor to do whatever. You go to war, execute judgment, it's an honor to go do this as a godly person. Praise the Lord. Yeah, yeah, and, and yeah. You could just you could the, the the faith that it that it takes to to trust God at His word while you go forward in what He has called you to do um, is there's some there's an that's it's an honor to, to have that that privilege of having the word of God guide you and lead you into the into the path ahead. Anything else? Yeah, Bob. One of the reasons we were created was to praise God. That's right. Isaiah 43:21 says, the people I form for myself will declare my praise. Mm-hmm. That's a great, what's that, what's that verse again? Oh, it's like a good cross Isaiah 43:21. Oh, Isaiah again, all right. <laughs> the one I've created, they will declare my praise. That's why God has designed this, very good. Diana. Um, back on, um, Verse 4, mm-hmm. you would put your head down when I raised my hand. 
Um, I had a thought mm -hmm. of if you changed Lord to Father, mm -hmm. takes pleasure in his children, mm -hmm. that kind of would works in your mind that he loves us, mm -hmm. so why wouldn't he take pleasure yeah. as we are his children? Yeah, and that's definitely a thing we see throughout Scripture, right? As a father shows compassion on his children, so he shows compassion on those who, those who fear him. It is a fatherly attribute of God to take pleasure in his people. Yeah, Justin. So along the lines of our creation, and along the lines of that, that last part honors for all godly ones. It's back reference to the ones that he's chosen. Yes, creation. But, you know, I go back to being a father, even myself, and my kids obey me and And that, that kind of reminds me of another thing, just when you talk about a, a parent-child obedience, right? What's happening here, right? You're trusting the word that, that, that your heavenly father has given you, and, and you go forth praising him, trusting him to be faithful. And uh, in, in the same way, when, you're, when your child obeys you simply because they're trusting the word that you said, and maybe they don't see it all, right? They're just trusting and they're going forth. That, that gives you great pleasure, right? That gives you great honor that, that, that your own child trusts you that much. It's also really scary when your child trusts you that much. Uh, but for God to see his people trust him to that extent uh, brings him great pleasure. Okay, Hebrews uh, 4.12, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged I wouldn't, I probably personally wouldn't go so far as to say that this is an allusion to the Word of God, um, but, but it's, I think if you, there's some themes that you can draw some principles from that we use the Word of God, um, but uh, uh, there's, there's a, we always want to make sure we're interpreting it based off of what the intent of the, of the psalm is, right? And so sometimes we see a, a word that reminds us of another verse where the same word is used. And you're like, ah, that's a cool connection. And there, there is, there's, there's a lot of cool connections in scripture. Um, uh, whether or not this is in reference to the word of God, I'm not so confident. Um, but uh, but the, the truths of, of Hebrews 4.12 and how powerful the word of God is and how he, Ephesians 6 says that the, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, uh, there's some wonderful truths there. Yes, Dennis. Sure, he sat there and showed us his love. Mm -hmm. And then he talked about picking up the sword. Now I'm wondering if it's a promise to us that he will protect us. He will protect the people. Mm -hmm. Showing his love by protecting us. I think you're exactly correct. I, th I think that's exactly what's going on here. Like we said, that they're, they are 
holding the swords in their hands, but they know that, that all this vengeance and punishment and justice, that's God's protection. That's God's goodness, just as we saw in 2 Chronicles 20. Um, that, that, that's what he does, and that's the one way that he shows his love. You're exactly correct in that. Good. Well, before we jump into Psalm 150, um, let's sing some more, all right? So I'll give the, oh, they're already there. They're on it. Okay. We're going to sing a couple more songs together. And uh, again, as we praise him, let's respond to him. We're going to see in a little bit that worship and praise is a heart's response to the Lord. And as this, as this old hymn says, this is, this is written in the early, in the 1700s, but some incredible truths. Oh, if I only had a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise. So before we jump into Psalm 150, let's sing this song together. Uh, number 26, this short chorus, I worship you, almighty God. That's your heart, that you see God as truly the one who is worthy of our worship. Well, to close out this study on the Psalms, let's look at Psalm 150. And uh, a quick glance, again, shows you a very clear theme. Uh, each line, almost each line, 
begins with the exact same thing. Praise, 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 right? Inviting everyone to join in praise. In fact, do you know, here's some Hebrew quiz for you, what this sounds like in Hebrew. You sing it all the time. Hallelujah. That's exactly right. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Actually, on that note, Justin, so praise is hallelujah. Yah is a short version of the word Yah, name Yahweh. So hallelujah, praise Yah, the Lord. And so, you know what's going on here? Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. All right? So that's exactly what this is saying in Hebrew. Praise the Lord. You know, sometimes we just sing hallelujah, and we're like, I don't know what we're singing. It just sounds cool. And, uh, but we're actually singing praise the Lord. This should be the testimony of our lives. And that's what this psalm is doing. Hallelujah. And uh, again, this is a psalm that we're not going to find a lot of like deep, you know, hidden truths. It's a really simple, but, but, but really important truth here. It's obvious what we should walk away from this psalm with, but it does answer a couple of questions. First of all, here in verse 1, where should we praise the Lord? How do I know this? Praise God in, praise Him in, all right? Uh, verse 2, this answers, why should we praise the Lord? And then verse 3 through 6, what do you think this answers? How? How should we praise the Lord? And so, again, as we close out the study in the Psalms, let's just look at these simple questions. Where should we praise the Lord? Where there's two locations he gives, in his sanctuary and in his mighty heavens. Um, I think this is, what's, the, what's that fancy grammatical term that I used? Uh, two, two things that communicate a, what is it called? Some, some, uh, <coughs> something. All right. That word. Uh, so I think that sanctuary is the sanctuary on earth, the temple, his mighty heavens, the, his dwelling place above. Uh, and so these two ideas combined together uh, that uh, praise him everywhere, I think, is what is uh, being trying to, that's trying to communicate. Uh, everywhere, in every place, we have reason to praise the Lord. Why should we praise the Lord? For what, 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 what reason do we have? His mighty deeds and his excellent greatness. Praise God for all he has done. And as we've, seen, as we've gone through this study, we have seen God's goodness and greatness all throughout. We've looked at just over one-sixth of the whole book of Psalms. And, and think about all the truths that we've observed during that time. The attributes of God, the different circumstances in which people are called, uh, calling out to God and trusting in Him. And there's so much more that we could look at. There's so many uh, deeds, mighty deeds that God has accomplished that we can praise Him for. There's so, many, so much more examples of His greatness that we can praise Him for. Uh, we have every reason to praise God. Excellent greatness here. Actually, the word excellent uh, it comes from a, uh, 
a Greek, uh, Hebrew, sorry, Greek, no, uh, word, robe, Rob, if your name is Rob, then uh, you're excellent, all right? And, uh, but this word actually kind of refers to quantity uh, and could mean abundant um, or plenteous. In fact, the Christian Standard Version translates this phrase as his abundant greatness. This is communicating that his greatness surpasses all else. Uh, If you combine all of his greatness, examples of his greatness together, uh, it it surpasses all else. We've seen his creative power in the Psalms. We've seen his holiness, his gentleness, his compassion, his forgiveness, his healing, his patience, his kindness, his sovereignty, his wisdom. And just to name a few, we could keep going and going and going and praise him for all his mighty deeds and his excellent greatness, his abundant greatness. This is why we should praise the Lord, because we have every reason to. You know, sometimes we we hold back from praising God because of a particular circumstance in our life or something that we're going through in the moment, as if we've lost all reason to praise God. Uh, But yet we we see throughout the Psalms that never stopped the psalmist from praising God, even when they found themselves in the worst and darkest of circumstances. We have every reason to praise Him. And how should we praise Him? Well, there's a lot of ways in which we are called to praise God. Trumpet sound, lute, harp, tambourine, dance, strings, pipes, sounding cymbals, loud clashing cymbals. This is a celebration. Everything is with the, the word, it says praise him with, praise him with, 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 right? This saying, take everything you have, take your instruments, take all of the, all of the ways in which you can praise the God, God and come to him in celebration. Um, and, and that's how I would describe this worship, wouldn't you? Celebration, enthusiasm, right? This is not a dirge. This is not, this is not a gloomy, gloomy worship. This is celebration. This is God is so glorious. God is so great. He is so excellent. And this is very clearly a response of a thankful heart. A response of a thankful heart. Because I think sometimes we can use, we can use music and singing to manufacture a feeling of thankfulness, right? We actually use all of these things as an instrument to produce thankfulness, right? To kind of make us feel thankful. That's not what worship is. Worship goes the opposite direction. We, we praise him for his excellent greatness. We meditate on his goodness. And it results in the celebration. It results in this joy. What are you giving thanks to God right now in your life? What gives you reason to praise him and glorify him for his goodness. We see the last verse to cap off the entire book. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Do you have air in your lungs? Then praise the Lord. To close out, what what are some things that you're praising God for? I think it'd be fitting for us as we wrap up the study in the Psalms to end in that fashion. If you were just to pick one or two things, I'm praising God because of this truth, because of who he is. What would you include, Ron? Steadfast love for me. Amen. Steadfast love.
Yep, he's given me this life to live because he sacrificed his life. The family of God. The family of God. Mm-hmm. Great reason to praise God. Right. It's about bring us together through his word. Amen. Yes. Amen. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> he loved us so much, he gave us his word mm-hmm. so that we could find out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. The whole mess of the world that it is now, that God is still in control. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That we as his people, I mean, there's so much chaos in the world. There's so much sin and pain. And yet in that, we are the people who have reason to rejoice and to praise and to give thanks. It's a wonderful truth. What else? Patience and long-suffering. Long-suffering. Mm. Is it, you know the word long-suffering comes from a word that means long of nose, a long nose. And it's the idea that it takes a long time for the inhale to make its way through the nostril, right? So it's, it's kind of a weird way of saying a long fuse, right? So, you know, instead of a sharp inhale, it's like a, right? That's how God is toward us sometimes, right? <laughs> Just, he is patient. He's very long-suffering with us. Good. What else? There's many blessings. Oh, yeah, there's many blessings that he's given to, on top of salvation on top of all of these things just the additional things that he's blessed us with that we don't deserve we don't need yet in his goodness he gives us those things david his promises that give us hope yes his promises larry he's a calm in the storm he's a calm in the storm yeah cool it's perfect peace that transcends all understanding philippians 4 that's you know have you ever experienced peace because of who god is and you and you're not quite sure why you should be feeling so peaceful because it passes understanding. Yeah, Justin. We're all verses we've been learning exceedingly abundantly more than we ask. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Rebecca. As the creator of the universe would actually want to talk to me. Yeah. And, and want to hear from you, right? That the creator of the universe wants to talk to you through his word and he, and he inclines his ear when you talk to him. What an incredible privilege. Anything else? Jenny. Yeah, um, first of all, that we get to study, study this book of Psalms so he can remind us to praise him. I know, yeah, yeah. Um, we need a reminder to praise God, right? And he's given us a book that gives us countless reasons why we should praise him. It's good. Anything else? Adam. Um, just that he's, he's omnipotent, all powerful, all knowing. Instead of being like a human or something. Yeah, you think of so many other cultures and their and their the fickle deities that they worship, right? That God is unchanging and constant and all powerful. Kristen. It's been neat to see through this study, too, just the, the connection points, right? Other parts of Scripture, and you see the unity there, the supernatural nature of this book. Anything else? Linda. Knowing that he is continually with you mm-hmm. at all times, he's got your right hand. That's right. Well, I'm with you always, even to the end of the earth. Someone over here. Bob. I'm glad I got to focus in on verse 6. Because I keep telling Mike Berryman there's no trombones in here. (laughs) (laughs) Verse 6 would include that. That's true. That's true. (laughs) 
Justin. Thank you for the correct my prayer coming on. Good. Anything else? I think for this church in particular right now, the way it is and the people that are in it. Amen. What else? Let's see. He's sovereign. He's sovereign. Yeah. Yeah. Where we are weak and he is yet he is strong. That's right. We saw earlier that he seems like he's everything. Yeah, he's everything. That's exactly right. Um, you know, he adorns the humble with salvation. There's that weakness. We're humble and yet he adorns us with salvation. He's everything, right? He, he should be all things to us, that, that, that he's the reason why we, we have joy, we have peace. And, uh, and, and yes, we, just as we've seen, th- we've seen through these Psalms, difficulties, right? We, we, we have seen trials, we've seen doubts, we've seen fears, where the psalmists have been brutally honest about the struggles that they're having, right? And as we consider every, all the praises, all the reasons to praise God, We know that's not separate or divorced from the painful realities of life. In fact, the Psalms include the painful realities of life in that praise and show us how we can direct our attention to God even when we find ourselves there. It does not hold back. It does not paint some rose-colored picture of the Christian life, Uh, but it does paint a beautiful picture of God who is good and faithful and just, his steadfast love toward us uh, that we can rejoice in and be confident in throughout our entire lives. I hope you have reason to praise the Lord. I'd encourage you, you know, that, that even through this study, you, maybe, maybe it's wet your appetite a little bit. Maybe, you know what, I can go through the Psalms, the ones maybe you haven't studied, I could do this. I could go home with my Bible, I could take out my pen, I could, I could dig down deep and see more reasons to praise God. There's a whole lot of Psalms we didn't touch and a whole lot of truth that you can, you can go and dig into for yourselves. Um, and so I, I hope that you do that. I hope that becomes a diet part of your life. But I think we should, we should close with one more song. And, uh, and oftentimes when I think of songs that um, elevate God's glory and grace, uh, the one I often think of is How Great Thou Art. So uh, Psalm uh, number 28 in your hymnals if you want to look. Let's sing... Uh, See, I'm going to see how many verses I put in there. We might just do all of them. All right? Let's see. Did I put all of them in there? Did I miss some? Am I short? Well, if you have your hymnals, we'll just do all four verses. All right? Does that work? Okay. So if you're looking at the screen and it doesn't match what, uh, what everyone else is singing, uh, that's the one I skipped. All right? <laughs> and let's, let's do this. Sorry. One more, uh, um, let's do... Uh, Verse 3, can we do a cappella? All right. Verse 3, we'll do a cappella, and then on the chorus of verse 3, you all can join back in. All right? Let's sing How Great Thou Art.
Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that you are worthy of praise. We have every reason to, to rejoice in you, to worship you. Lord, I pray that no matter what circumstance each individual finds themselves in this evening, whatever trials they're facing, whatever struggles they're navigating, that they might look to you and see your goodness and your faithfulness and your kindness and gentleness, your sovereignty, your patience. Lord, all your attributes that you have so kindly revealed to us through your word. Lord, we thank you for giving us this truth. We thank you for giving us this book. Lord, I pray that we would not limit our, our time in it to just a Wednesday or just a Sunday, but that we would be in it every day so that we have more and more reason to praise you and thank you for everything you've done. Lord, I pray that the testimony of our lives would be one of worship, that as we have...